17th verse is where we're going to be starting. Ephesians chapter 1, the 17th verse to the end of this chapter. Actually, let's back up to the 16th. He says, Paul says, He ceased not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that is the Ephesian church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the, the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all, all in all rather. Father, we do thank you for your word. Bless and break it. Help us to understand the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in this particular portion of scripture and make application to our hearts so that, Lord, we may apprehend what we've been apprehended for. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, something worthy of note here, Ephesians, this place in Ephesus, would have been highly pagan, meaning that uh, I know that there would be Jews that would be inside of there, but grossly pagan, a complete you know, uh, ignorance really at large about the things of God. And so this is, the, this is a letter that is written to these people. And you find that Paul's talking with people that are grossly ignorant, really, of all the Old Testament and how everything fits together in the Jewish system and all that. But they know Christ. They've been saved and a transformation taking place. This is the same city where they took their book of dark arts, witchcraft, spells, all that kind of stuff, threw it in a giant pile and had a bonfire in the middle of the city. These people found Christ. But you know what's so wonderful about this is? This is lofty language here. And I was just thinking as I was reading this, think about the book of Hebrews. That has some lofty expressions in it, but it doesn't ascend to where this does. And it's like Paul is talking to these people that have none of that background, and he gives them some of the most loftiest thoughts and pulls them from where they are and lifts them straight up into heaven. And uh, I thought, isn't that awesome? God's never intended for it to always have been left in the lap of the Jewish people. He wanted the whole world to know and it's like he could skip over top of all that Old Testament Levitical ceremonial aspect of everything and go right to the fulfillment of all things. And that was their first introduction into God. And that's awesome. You and I, I think, have had much of that, but we've read through the Old Testament. But here, it seems to be that these Ephesian Christians, they enter in their joy in, in God. That first entering in, they've got that... The world of heaven is opened up to them, or the spiritual world of things. God's real to them. And here they are in the middle of this pagan existence, and they start looking around and thinking, man, we've got us, there are a lot of things we've got to change. I know this, I know Jesus now. And they, they ultimately just wanted to do it. But then, as we find throughout the New Testament, there are people that come in and start talking about things that aren't quite right, and they get into the church some of which it appears to be it's possible 
that these Judaizers may have started to get in here. And that means that they, these people who were saying that you need to do some of the ceremonial law, uh, otherwise you're really not saved. I wonder if something of that seems to have been taking place. And I think I've looked through commentaries and seeing that that is a very real possibility. So you see the Apostle Paul realizing what is happening to these people who entered into this saved experience. They know Christ. And now they may have questions coming up in their minds, questions of their acceptance. Does God really care and love for me like he says he does? Because I don't know things like these people do, and they know, you know the things of God a lot better, and they've come to me, and they've told me such and such. Now I'm starting to question myself, starting to question this which I've entered into. I don't know what's really true anymore. So it seems like Paul is trying to help these people and assure them of their wonderful privilege in the gospel of Christ and their wonderful privilege in the person of Jesus Christ and in his salvation. So we find that some of these lofty concepts are there out of a heart to build these people up and help them to know where they stand. And you and I can benefit from that in these particular times. And the thing that's so wonderful about all this is that this is a prayer. How many of you feel like you got prayer all figured out? How many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? Nobody has to say anything. We all feel that intuitively. I, think, I, don't, I don't think that we're going to get any place in this world where we're going to feel like we've got that all figured out. I think we could always say, Lord, teach me how to pray. I think I could do that over and over again. Lord, teach me how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I need your help. And it's wonderful if you can get into someone's prayer life, right? I've, I've oftentimes thought, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, somebody that you look at that you think you know, has connection with God, you want to, I want to get in there when, I don't want them to know I'm there. I just want to like be in there and listen while they're praying. I want to see what that's like. I don't know if anyone else had that thought. I have. I'd love to be there when there's, you know, the facade, and I don't mean this in a hypocritical way, but sometimes you, what you talk with the Lord in private is different what you talk with the Lord in public or when you're talking with people. The way that you talk there, it's a little bit more intimate. I'm interested in that. I want to know the intimacy. I want to see how it works because that's most important to me. You know what the, the best things that I have found in my Christian uh, life and reading are? Biographies. Biographies that aren't just the highlights of people's lives, but real biographies where they tell me where they failed. That helps me. I love that stuff. I look in there and I'm, you know, you look at these people and they lift them high up and you're like, he's made of the same stuff I am. That helps me, right? And it helps me to be able to look right here in the Apostle Paul's prayer. What a privilege. The, the whole book of Psalms, what a privilege. The heart cries that have come out of the breast of people in such difficult times, it's all written down in a book. <clears throat> I've been astounded how many times that there's been things that have happened in people's lives. It just happened to me in the car the other day. Uh, I was speaking with somebody and they were saying, I just don't get it. I don't get how that somebody you know, who's walking with God, they can have all these difficulties, all these troubles and all these trials, and it looks like they've got the low end of things in, in life, right? But then we look at these other people, they're driving around nice cars, they get a nice house, they get all this, and they're living in sin. Or they say they're Christians and they aren't even walking with God. I don't understand that. And they were starting to feel discouraged. 
So I had to pull out my phone because I was like, I know there's a psalm that has to do with that. And I couldn't, I couldn't remember which one it was. And I found Psalm 73. I said, let me read this to you. So I read a psalm to uh, the Psalm 73. And I said, this isn't anything new. <laughs> that guy said how he was so troubled over the prosperity of the wicked and how it seemed like they weren't straightened in anything. They weren't bound up and chained. But the person that loved God, they were. And I don't get it. And I was almost ready to slip till I walked into the sanctuary of God and then I realized their end. Everything was made clear to me, right? We get help when we look into people's prayers, the struggles and things they've gone through. But we get help looking in here into the prayer life of Paul and his heart towards people. He begins by saying, this is his prayer, that the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of of him. This is the things he's praying out of his heart for this Ephesus, the church in Ephesus here. And he says, the father of glory and glory really is this kind of unspoken manifestation of God. This, it's like, you know what it is, but I don't know how to say what it is. It's unspoken manifest presence of God himself. It's that transcendent excellence that your spirit can perceive we had the other Sunday night, we had a, a youth service. In the beginning, the kids were a little rambunctious in certain things. Once I started talking about the cross of Jesus Christ and how he was nailed into the cross and he was lifted up, this is like the spirit of God just dropped down in here. Everything quieted down, even the babies, even the babies that were fussing. And then I, I stopped for a minute and I said to the kids, I said, do you realize what's going on right now? And they went, no. I said, God's here right now. He's interested in you. That's why things have just hushed and quieted like this, because the Spirit of God is very interested in what's happening right here. That's the glory of God, the manifestation of God. I don't know how to express it, but I know when it's happening. I know when I sense the glory and presence of God. And he's talking about this Father of glory. In other words, all glory emanates from this being. Here's who he's praying to. And he's transcendent, meaning he's way outside of what you and I can grasp in this world and in our comprehension and understanding, this transcendent excellence, there's something above and beyond in his excellence, something above and beyond in his judgment, in his view and in his perspective of everything, this transcendent splendor. In other words, if we were in the glories of heaven, there'd be this brightness coming out of him, this magnificence, this preeminence, he's before all things. All of this, I think, would be understood in a flash. And that's why people drop down before him when we look in the scripture, they just fall in their face. There's a, who, I can't even explain it, but the glory, it just flows out of him. Such dignity, such majesty as the supreme ruler, as the absolute perfection of all existence right there. And Paul has that conception of whom he's praying to. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory. I don't say that I do this every time. I try to. I, since I read something by R.A. Torrey, he said they were having trouble praying one night at an altar and they bent down at the altar to pray. And then he stopped for a minute and he talked with everybody that was there and he said, guys, before we go any further, before we start praying, I think we need to consciously set ourselves before God. Before words come out of our mouth, you and I need to be assured that we know that we're talking to God. And he said, everyone did that and their prayer had wings. They were able to pray in such a manner that they weren't before, because sometimes you and I are so used to the busy hustle of what's going on, 
We don't realize that I'm talking to God, the God of all glory. It seems like Paul knew that as he was praying. So we realize he says, this God, I'm praying that this Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So this helps us to realize Paul, he was a knowledgeable man. Trained in good colleges and all, under the feet of Gamaliel. Very bright man, as far as his intelligence is concerned. But he didn't say, Lord, help me to be able to just explain this in such a way where they all get it. And I'm not saying that'd be a wrong prayer. But he was petitioning God to give them knowledge. To supply them with understanding. He wasn't even there. He had sent Timothy back to go check things out there and keep uh, holding the fort, so to speak. He wasn't there. He's writing a letter. But he realizes that this knowledge that they so need, and remember, they're in a place where they're getting brought low. They're confused. They've got doubts. They don't even know if they have, if they have the confidence they thought they had. He's praying to this Father of all glory that that knowledge would come down to them. Knowledge from heaven down to these people. And he says it comes by this way, that he would give him the spirit, or give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That spirit is not just like this somehow nebulous floating spirit somewhere in a here, spirit of wisdom, come on over here. I'm going to give you over to this person. It's the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I pray the Father of glory on your behalf that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation. That helps us realize some things. When we need wisdom, when we need revelation, we're going to be looking for the Holy Ghost. We're going to be expecting Him. That's where it's going to come from. It's going to be coming from Him. And wisdom means that highest intellectual gift, that comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. It's kind of like a special insight that's not really naturally attained. It's this, it's this divine knowledge, this divine wisdom. I could try and, you know, bring all these books out before me and go through all of it, and I wouldn't gain it that way. But this wisdom that he's praying for, this spirit of wisdom, has a divine origin. Not naturally attained, but it somehow gives you this knowledge of God that you couldn't have gotten except the Holy Spirit had given it. He's praying that they would have that spirit of wisdom and also revelation. Now, revelation is different in this sense. Revelation implies that something has always been right here in front of you, but it was covered. And what he's praying is that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit to uncover the truths that are already there and just show them to you so you get it. And you and I have had those moments where you've read through the scriptures and you've probably read something a bunch of times, all of a sudden, a revelation of what you were reading has come to you. It never made sense and suddenly it makes sense. Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit of God. And Paul knew it. I pray the Father of glory would give you the spirit of wisdom, that divine knowledge that can't be gained anywhere else, and the revelation to uncover things that are mysterious to you, but the knowledge is right here accessible in front of you. I pray God the Father will give that to you. And the way you and I experience that is through intimate relation with the Spirit of God. And the, and the purpose here is for a deeper knowledge of Christ. He said, giving them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that is, Christ Himself. 
to know the love of Christ. You and I can talk about love and fleet over the top of it, but that love, that knowledge of love that we're talking about that comes from that divine origin like that, I can't, I can't just take the word love, sit there and meditate on it and open this up. It's like the Spirit of God helps me understand the love of Christ, the heartthrob of Christ for me, the heartthrob of Christ for humanity. He helps me to know the love of Christ. He helps me to know, know the joy of Christ. The joy is this depth inside. It's not superficial like you and I understand, just happy feelings. The deep joy of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of his joy, the knowledge of his peace, the prince of peace inside of his breast, the calmness that could walk through the turbulence of life and yet have such an unwavering trust in his father in heaven. He wants you to know Christ and his peace. He wants you to know the long suffering of Christ, not just know that Christ was long suffering. He wants you to know the long suffering of Christ in you. He wants that Christ in you to be able to express himself in the world around you. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation is going to show you how Christ is long suffering in your situations. And he'll live out and through you to know his gentleness, to know his goodness, to know his faith, to know his meekness, to know his temperance or self-control. And for those of you that have paid attention just now, you understand that what I'm talking about is the fruit of the spirit. When the Spirit dwells within, you understand intuitively who Jesus Christ is. Because there's these things that weren't there before that all of a sudden have planted themselves in your heart. And the Spirit of wisdom and revelation is helping us to know Him. Oh, to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Everything else is but dung that I may win Christ. That knowledge. He's praying for these people. Oh, that you, God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And really practically how? That when Christ dwells in your heart by faith, then you know him more intimately than you've ever known him in your entire life. He's not just a being on the throne. He's all of a sudden somebody so close. He's in fact walking within me and I'm allowing him to do so. I know him. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul is praying for this church. That changes everything. Think about it. These Judaizers and people come around and they try and dart in on every side, but the knowledge of Christ dwelling within their own breast, that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him is now theirs. It's totally different. They've got something inside and they may not be able to argue all these points that, all, that are flying at them from every direction, but they have a knowledge that's so solid. It's so much the more solid than any other argument someone could give against it. I know God and he dwells in here. I know a time when he wasn't dwelling inside of this heart of mine, and now he is. I may not know a thing of what you're talking about, but I know him. And he's praying this for them. But more specifically, how do we know him? The 18th verse. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So that part of the verse where it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened... Adam Clark says, what the eye is to the body, the understanding is to the soul. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. In other words, that, that part of my person, that, that vision that I need, that inward vision of Christ, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So before you and I were saved, we had eyes. 
We had spiritual eyes even. Sometimes people think that we don't have spiritual eyes when we're not saved. That's not true. It's just that our spiritual eyes are darkened. And in a measure, our spiritual nature is so deadened, but it's nevertheless there. Before we were saved, we had eyes and understanding in a spiritual sense, but they were darkened. But these already possessed capabilities, the spiritual sight, are enlightened by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That latent capability inside of every human breast is suddenly gushed light from heaven. It goes inside of there and lifts that up and they suddenly can see. So the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that spiritual darkness, that dimness is suddenly just cleared up. And now you can perceive and see with your spirit. And what is it that we are seeing? The hope of his calling. The hope of Christ's calling. We know that Christ's call goes out through all the restless waves of this world, calling out on the restless waves to all the lost souls that are just anywhere, calling out to them. But the hope of his calling is something that only a believer grasps. The hope of his calling is this, first of all, he called me. He spoke to me. Out of all the billions of people that are on this earth, he spoke to me here in Rome. He spoke to me when I was in New York City. He spoke to me when I was in a club watching ladies commit adultery with their, with, against their husbands. He spoke to me when I was doing drugs and drinking and smoking cigarettes all day long and looking at pornography. He spoke to me. He found out where I was. I knew his call. I knew his voice because he was pouring out his spirit down on top of me and trying to get a hold of me, knowing that I hated where I was going, but I knew nothing. And he bent down low into my life and he said, Eric, Eric, will you come? And you have experienced that if you've been saved. You heard his call. The, most, the, the wonderful thing in all the earth is that I have been called of him. He took the time to talk with me. He took the time to disrupt my life and step right in the middle of it and say, you, I want you. He called me. But that's not it. We can get enwrapped with all the wonders of that calling and the salvation that's been brought to our souls, but it keeps going. That he calls me to be a joint heir with Christ. That I get to sit on the throne with Jesus himself. He calls me that everything that's Christ is also mine. We share all this together in the kingdom of God. When I leave here and go up into heaven forever, I'm going to, his inheritance is mine also. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't even know how to explain that in words. That's why Paul said the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and to understand the hope of his calling. Paul's depending wholly on the Holy Ghost. The calling also is that he will put us in charge of his kingdom. Cities, and I don't, I don't understand all that, but there it is. You are faithful in little, be faithful in much. Take care of this city over here and that city over here. I don't understand that, but that's what's going to happen. We find that in the scripture. The hope of his calling, this next life that we're going to live, this other world that's going to be taking place after this is all wiped clean and melt with a fervent heat and the new heaven and the new Jerusalem comes down and a new earth, it's all folded up like an old piece of clothes tossed to the side and the new one comes down. 
That's the hope of yours and my calling. The thing is, this hope helps us to endure right now. If the Christian doesn't grasp that hope, it's hard sometimes through the grind of life to keep going. But Paul is taking these people in their pagan darkness that they've been saved and trying to pick their eyes up and looking upward to the hope of his calling. Guys, look at the hope of your calling. He didn't call you just to give you a nice little experience right here. There's a whole big plan where he's going to swallow everybody up from the four winds that's believed on the name of the Son of God and they're going to be lifted up into the heavens and there's going to be a wedding banquet and forever and ever in the rolling years of eternity, I'm going to be there in holy bliss. The hope of his calling that helps us to endure now. Oh, to think I can fight the devil one more day because when I get there, there'll be no more tempter. I can hold out today because one day he's going down into the lake of fire. He'll never come out and it will be to the glory and honor of God as the incense of that burning lake comes up and it pleases his nostrils. And I'm on the glory side of it all. It'll be worth it. Forget the trials and the troubles. It'll be worth it. God, help me to get through this trial. It's worth it. The hope of his calling. And then this. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice it's not your inheritance or yours, but his. Wait a minute. What's he talking about? Riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Me? A saved individual? He calls me riches and glory. He calls me his inheritance. And this earthly sojourn that you and I live in, if you and I get an inheritance, we're thinking about what's being passed down to us. I get somebody's estate. You know, I get their money. I get all those kind of things and I can live on and, and maybe I'm living off a little better than I was before I got it all right. He's calling you and me his inheritance. Daniel Steele says, Christ is to receive from the Father the riches or transcendent excellency or excellence of glory among the saints. The community of believers will be the subjects of this bliss and they will be the sphere outside of which the riches of glory will not be found, not even among the angels. There will be such a glory on the saints, the redeemed saints, that the angels themselves can't even have. There'll be such bliss and such light upon the, the redeemed saints of all ages, that will be a splendor in heaven that is going to be striking awe into seraphic beings. Isn't that an awesome thought? Christ is waiting for that. That's his bride, his riches, his glory, his inheritance. It's all his. I purchased it with my blood. The down payment's been there, and I'm waiting for when it will be in my possession. Those riches are the saved and redeemed, redeemed humanity. You and I are his peculiar treasure. Think about that just for a minute. Those aren't just words. You, as a believer, are the treasured possession of Christ. That's what he thinks of you. You're his treasured possession. He's longing and waiting for the day when you will be with him forever in glory. He's waiting. And that glory is, he'll bestow even his glory and his honor on us. Think about it. I had no claim to this calling. 
except that he called me, then he washed me in his own blood, he regenerated and made me anew, he filled me with himself, and now he's bestowing honor on top of me. The only thing I did was surrender. <laughs> the rest of it he did. The only thing I did was say, I'm done with all this. Here's all the garbage in my life. And he said, hey, I'll take that garbage, clean it all up, and here, here's something better. Yeah, thank God. He's bestowing that honor upon us, that resplendent glory. The glory of God's going to permeate his bride. It's going to be the whole boast of heaven as he walks around with his redeemed church, his bride. And he just shows all the angels, everyone that's up there in heaven, here's my holy bride. Isn't she perfect? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she full of glory and honor? She was worth all I ever went through. She was worth all the earthly suffering. She was worth the pains of hell. She was worth every drop of blood that coursed through my veins and spilled out on the ground. She was worth it when my body was broken and bruised and upon the cross. She was worth it when it seemed like God forsook me and he was nowhere to be found. This is my bride. She's here. She's mine. We are going to be with him forever and ever and ever. And it is, we are his treasure. He said, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's his desire. His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He, he's not stingy. He wants to dump it out on us. That's his good pleasure. Then... What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power? That exceeding greatness means surpassing beyond everything that ever could be called great. This power that he gives to us is beyond description, in other words. That power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, we're told here. In the, in the 20th verse, which he wrought, that power he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So we're talking about this power, first of all. That power is also the same power that raised Christ not only from the dead, but put him at the place of authority at the right hand of God. So that he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That power. Not only power over sin, but authority. That same power is for you and I and honor. He hath put all things under his feet and gave Christ to be the head over all things to the church. So that power that raised him from the dead, that gave him the highest place of authority and bestowed the most honor upon him as the head of the church. This power is ours now because we're his body. We're his body. Ephesians and the 23rd verse of the same chapter says, which is his body, the church, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. You and I collectively are the dwelling place of God as well as individually. But he dwells within his church. It's his own body. His very life is in the church. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This same power is ours now because we are his body. So to those that believe, they receive this power personally. 
This power is received to the local body of believers, wherever they may be found, scattered throughout the whole world. This power is received for towns and for cities and for nations. That same power to raise us up from the deadness of spiritual death, to raise us up to the highest places of authority where Christ sits in the right hand of the Father, and to raise us up to a place of honor where his feet are on top of all other things. And we have the honor of being a part of his own body. This is what Paul is praying for this church. Oh God, if you could only help them see this. Oh Lord, if you could just help these struggling believers to see that. These doubting believers, maybe. Oh God, if you could just help them in this shaky condition just to see that. Give them that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him like this, Lord. That's how Paul's praying. So the conclusion, brothers and sisters, is we can try and work our way to God in heavenly understandings and wrestle with the greatest minds on earth, but in simple faith in Christ, we can have a knowledge that's so deep and full that all the books in the world could never teach it to us. One simple act of faith in the Holy Ghost to show the things of Christ to us could give us more experiential deep knowledge in five minutes than eight years in seminary studies. Again, oh, to know, to know him in the power of his resurrection. Oh, to know the indwelling Christ. Oh, to know the intricacies of his virtuous person. How did Christ feel and think and walk? Oh, to know him like that. Oh, to walk in him as he walks in us. Oh, to have him as my bosom friend. Oh, to walk with Jesus moment by moment in intimate, vital communion. Oh, to be raised to the glories of heaven one day and be with my Lord and I can see him face to face. That's what Paul was trying to get into the hearts of these believers. And I would challenge you as you go home to read over this section of scripture and to pray through it. Pray through this section of scripture and say, Lord, help my faith to grab this. This will put a spring in our step. This will help us through our trials and our troubles. This will help us to get our perspective in the right place and be able to walk like we need to walk while we're still yet here. Be able to be walking with confidence. Be able to walk with a blessed, holy joy. And I'm not just talking about pure emotional things. The depth of it. The knowing that this is reality. So I would challenge you. Read through this and say, Lord, this is so wonderful. I want this to get in my heart. I want this to get deep into my heart. I want to be assured of the things that you've purchased on the cross. I want it for myself. The same way that Paul prayed these prayers to the Ephesian Christians is the same way you and I can pray for one another. And it's the same way you and I can pray for even ourselves. Lord, help us. Help us to ascend to where Christ is seated in our spirit and to dwell right there. Let's bow.